May 1, 1958, was a fairly quiet day in the world. It was International Communism's traditional date of celebration, and Moscow marked the occasion with a peace-themed rally in Red Square, presided over by Nikita Khrushchev, and provocatively attended by Gamal Abdel Nasser of the United Arab Republic, ostensibly a Cold War neutral, but often a flirtatious friend of Russia. In London, laborites hoisted a red flag, while in Nazareth, Moscow's celebration of peace frayed a bit. Eighty people were injured when fighting broke out after communists heckled a group of labor demonstrators. At the level of diplomacy, the American Secretary of State John Foster Dulles was pursuing an agreement with the Soviet Union to remove bombers and military bases from the Arctic. Vice President Richard Nixon was in Argentina for the inauguration of Arturo Frondizi, that nation's first freely elected president in 12 years. Dwight David Eisenhower, 34th President of the United States, spent the day at the White House, all but invisible to the outside world. He woke to a cool, sunny morning in the Capitol and had breakfast with members of his staff at 7.45 a.m. in the White House mess. He arrived at his desk at 8.36 a.m. Looking over his schedule, the president saw that he had a short work day ahead with just one meeting of consequence. Five years into his presidency, Eisenhower was in a slump. His approval ratings, which generally hovered between 60 and 70 percent, had fallen below 50 for the first time as the American economy slogged through a mild recession. Knocked down by a heart attack in 1955 and a hospitalization for ileitis in 1956, he was perceived by many journalists and much of the nation's elite as ailing, ineffectual, and detached, surrounded by scheming, powerful cabinet members who carried out the nation's work while Ike served as its benign figurehead, devoted to golf and bridge, manipulated by a coterie of shrewd businessmen. The administration's response to the recession seemed to its critics lamentably typical. The House of Representatives that day passed a bill to extend jobless benefits, but the legislation represented a compromise. Liberals had supported larger benefits for longer, while Eisenhower backed a more modest alternative. Eisenhower, one editorial opined, was confronting the nation's economic difficulties by the device of wishful thinking. Dissatisfaction with Ike was captured that year by Marcus Childs, an influential Washington journalist whose 1958 book, Eisenhower, Captive Hero, portrayed the president as indecisive and lazy, stodgy, and limited by his military upbringing. He is moved by forces, Childs wrote, he does not undertake to move them himself. Ike, in Childs's view, had fallen woefully short of public expectations for his presidency and had failed to marshal the powers of his office. For that, Childs concluded, Eisenhower must be put down as a weak president. That was Eisenhower as viewed by the press and public, limited, captive, disappointing, but on this May Day of 1958, the President Eisenhower, invisible to Childs, unappreciated by his critics, 
was at work off-stage on matters of grave consequence. At 9 a.m., the President and 34 of his most senior and trusted advisors assembled for the 364th meeting of the National Security Council. The meeting opened, as it usually did, with a briefing on world events. Updates on fighting in Indonesia and Yemen highlighted the report, then turned to a review of basic U.S. security policy, a matter that had been under constant consideration since Ike's election in 1952. For months, Eisenhower's top aides had grown increasingly restive about the nation's reliance on massive retaliation as the centerpiece of its strategy to contain Soviet and Chinese communism.